Morning. Today's reading is in Philippians chapter three, verse twelve, to chapter four, verse one, and you can find it on page one one eight zero in the Red Bibles. So Philippians chapter three, starting from verse twelve. Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do: forgetting what is behind. And straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things, and if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern I gave you, we give we gave you. For as I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is the stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for. My joy and crown—that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. Well, good morning, everyone.、Um, for those of you who don't know, it was A Level Results Day a few weeks ago. It was the moment that up to 14 years of schooling was leading to for a lot of young people. And on BBC News and all over social media, there were all these success stories of young people with amazing grades,、um, some of whom were interviewed. And one interview I saw, this young lad had just got three A stars. He said something along the lines of this. He said, "I'm so glad. It means I've got into Cambridge University. I'm going to study medicine. I'm one step closer to becoming." A doctor, but for now I've got two years of celebrating to catch up on. Now that young man had spent the last two years of sixth form working hard, presumably day and night. He was studying, he was learning, he was forgoing social occasions, his hobbies, all for the sake of his education. He put all his energy and effort into his schoolwork and into exams. Why? Well, his interview told us his end goal was to become a doctor, 
That's what he wanted from his future. He wanted to be a doctor. And so that future affected his present. His future was driving the decisions he was making in the present because he knew exactly where he wanted to be. He knew exactly what he wanted his destination to be. He had fixed his eyes on what he wanted, and his decisions every day reflected that. And it's been the same with the Olympic athletes, hasn't it? Uh, As Gareth mentioned a few weeks ago, all the athletes competing at the Games have one destination in mind, the top step of that podium. That's where they want to be. And so their present decisions are based around that end goal, their prize. The endless training, the constant healthy eating, the competitions, the traveling, all because they are pressing on to stand on the top step with a gold medal firmly around their necks. I wonder if you have a goal in the future that you are working towards, like the Olympians or that sixth former. Maybe if you just take a moment to think through the decisions that you're making now, it'll help you. What is shaping your decisions that you make day by day? Is it that career? Is it making money? Is it getting that perfect body? Is it getting people's respect and admiration? Or maybe your decisions actually aren't shaped by the future at all. Life might be really tough for you right now, and it's hard enough getting from one day to the next, let alone contemplating the future and what you want then. Well, wherever you stand, last week, Paul in his letter to the Philippians told us his goal. He said in chapter 3, verse 10, this, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul wants to live out a life with Jesus. He wants to know him. He wants to know the power of the resurrection, to enjoy relationship with Jesus both now and in eternity. That's Paul's prize to which he presses on towards. It's not the top step of a podium or a glittering career. No, Paul's prize, indeed the Christian's goal, is to enjoy life with Jesus in eternity, in the new creation. As I say that, you might not even be sure at this point if you have a relationship with Jesus. If that is you, then you are very welcome here. And it is my prayer this morning that you will see, as we go through these verses, the great joy it is to have a relationship with King Jesus. If you do consider yourself a follower of Jesus, then Paul is going to show us three ways that will help us press on towards our heavenly goal, towards the new creation. He's going to tell us to forget what is behind. He's going to tell us to follow his example. And he's going to tell us to focus on the return of Jesus. So let's dive into our passage then with the first of those in verses 12 to 16, where Paul says, forget what is behind. Have a look down at verse 12 with me. Paul says, Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already been made perfect, But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. 
Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. Paul's very clear with his readers that he isn't the finished article. He hasn't obtained everything. He hasn't made it. He hasn't taken hold of everything. But that doesn't diminish his confidence in his destination. He is absolutely 100% certain that he's going to make it. In fact, as Neil unpacked for us last Sunday, verses 1 to 11 of Philippians chapter 3 showed us exactly where Paul's confidence was placed. Paul had every reason to place enormous confidence in himself. As he says in verses 5 and 6, he was circumcised, part of the people of Israel. He was a Pharisee by law. He had all the qualifications. He had all the certificates on the doctor's wall. But his confidence wasn't in himself. It would have been misplaced if it was. He can't earn or buy his way into relationship with God. No, Paul's total confidence was placed in the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. As he puts it in verse 12 of our passage, Christ Jesus took a hold of him. And because of that, he is certain. He has complete confidence that he will reach his destination because it is all about what Jesus has done. Christ Jesus took a hold of him. It's a little bit like a roller coaster. Um, now, when I say roller coaster, I mean something like this, the big one at Blackpool Pejadich. Something that goes upside down, has loop-the-loops, goes at great speeds. Not something like SpongeBob Splash Bash, if you've ever been on that. Now, when you are on a roller coaster like the big one, um, if you're anything you're like me, you'll know that all you want to do is cling on to the seat. And yet, as the ride goes on and you're willing for it to end, your knuckles are getting whiter, your palms are getting sweaty, they're beginning to slowly slip off, your grip's loosening, you're fighting to hold on. You get more and more scared. But actually, it doesn't matter if you let go, because the seat has a hold of you. Your safety on the roller coaster depends on the seat holding you in. And the seat will not let go of you. That's what it's like for Paul. Jesus has taken hold of Paul. He can have complete confidence that he will make it to his prize, to his goal. Now, where that analogy uh, falls down slightly is when you come to the realization that that seat is the thing that's holding you in, then you are free to let go. You can raise your arms in the air and look super cool with all your friends because you can lift your arms up. You're not scared. Um, but Paul's response to Jesus is actually the opposite. Look down with me at verse 12 again. Paul says, Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Paul says, Christ Jesus has taken a hold of me, so I press on to take firmer and firmer hold of those things. Paul is grabbing hold of Jesus more and more because Jesus has taken a hold of him. Verse 13, Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize 
for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. Paul says that the way he holds on to Jesus more is by forgetting what is behind him. Now, let's just take a moment to think what he means by that. If, you, uh, if you've ever Googled inspirational quotes, top of the list somewhere will be a quote about the past. Um, Nelson Mandela is quoted by saying, no matter what the past has dealt you, don't let it destroy your future. Forget the past. Or, or this one that's on the screen, forget about the past. It does not exist except in your memory. Drop it and stop worrying about how you're going to get through tomorrow. Life is going on right here, right now. Pay attention to that and it will, it will be well. Now, a lot of these quotes are about completely scrapping what has gone before you. And there is some logic to that, isn't there? You can't change the past. So why worry about it? You can't change the past. So why consider how you would change it? Now, the difference here, I think, is that when Paul is saying forget the past, he's not saying scrap it. Remember, he's saying this to help us to cling on to Jesus more. Consider, for the Christian, what is in the past? What is behind us as the people of God? Well, if I think about my life, firstly, there are our failures. The times when we've sinned against our Heavenly Father and against other people whether that's in word or action or thoughts. There's our guilt and our shame that we feel when we fail, when we turn our backs on our loving Heavenly Father, when we hurt others with our words or our actions. But the joy of knowing Jesus is that we can take those failures to him, turning to the one Saviour who can bring us close to God. And so in that sense, we can forget what is behind us. We can forget our failures because our Lord Jesus has dealt with our guilt and our shame at the cross. As we heard in our catechism, he has dealt with all our sin. So we don't have to be weighed down with it because it has been dealt with. Our past failings don't disqualify us from enjoying life with Jesus. In fact, they should remind us to turn back to him they should push us to hold on to Jesus more and more. So our failures are something that are in the past. But also, there are also our good works in the past, aren't there? The good bits, the nice things, the times we've helped people out, where we've served someone, given someone a meal, looked after their kids, welcomed people into our homes. I'm sure you can think of something in your life this week that you look back on and think, oh, that was nice. But Paul says we should forget all this too because those good things are equally a big danger to us. The times when we do good begin to puff us up. They often sow a seed that we're decent enough on our own. We're okay. To use the Bible's words, we become proud. And so we begin to drift away from Jesus. We begin to put confidence in our flesh, in ourselves, in our own abilities and our own skills. And so Paul says of those things, forget them. Both our failures and our successes can lead us to complacency in the Christian life. When we fail, we can think, well, why should I bother pressing on? When we succeed and do good, it can equally lead us to think, why should I bother pressing on? 
Look at me now. Complacency leads us to not pressing on. And so Paul says of our failures and our good, forget them. Forget your past. Our confidence can only be placed in Jesus. As we forget those things, we again come to Jesus. We cling on. We hold on to him more and more. Forget the past. And look at what Paul does instead, verse 13 and 14. He says, Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. Did you notice how Paul describes his actions in those verses? Verse 13, he's straining towards what is ahead. Verse 14, he's pressing on. It's hard work. It's more like uh, you're going up the down escalator rather than up the up escalator. And that's to be expected. As Paul has said, he hasn't made it yet. He's continuing to grow, to be more like Jesus day by day. You might have heard uh, these words, the Christian life is about progress towards perfection. It's about straining and pressing on towards that perfection. That's what Paul is doing. And that verse 15 is how a mature Christian should think, Paul says. Have a look down at verse 15 with me. Paul says, all of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. To be mature means that you realize that life is about progress towards perfection. Life is about straining and pressing on to our goal. And we can do that because the past doesn't need to chain us or hold us back. Now, in saying this, Paul is showing us that there is a right way and a wrong way to think about life. The mature way is to strain and press on. And notice what he says if we don't think that as Christians. He says, if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Paul's telling his readers that they should expect God to change their thinking. Hopefully that's happening for all of us as we open up this passage together. Maybe your thinking has been changed already. If so, praise God. He is growing us to be more like Jesus as that happens. And that can only help us because we're pressing and straining on towards the new creation. Now, Paul said a lot about thinking in Philippians. If you have time this week, why not have a look back through uh, the chapters we've already been through? But his point is that as we come to God's life-giving word, it's going to change our mindset. It's going to change our thinking. God is making clear to us how we should think as we come to the Bible. And that's so important. As to keep pressing on, as to keep straining, we've got to think rightly about heaven, about our goal. Now, as we do strain on, the second way that Paul helps us to know Jesus more is he tells us to follow his pattern, to follow Paul's pattern. 
Have a look down at verse 17 with me. Paul says, Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. Now, Anna and I uh, saw Anna's cousins uh, a few weeks ago. They are 11, 9, 7, and 3. And the older three and myself were playing Jenga. Now, the seven-year-old decided it would be much more fun to just knock the tower down on every single go of his. And once we finally got him out of the room, bribed by a different game, we settled down to play properly. Um, But then the three-year-old, who'd been sat on the sofa watching, decided, it's my turn. He liked his brother's example uh, and decided he wanted a piece of the action. He's observed what had happened every single time his brother had knocked down the tower. It caused real annoyance with the two oldest ones, and me, actually. But um, (laughs) Now, and so he came, and that's what he tried to do. Now, it might seem a bit trivial, but actually... uh, that three, for the three-year-old, notice what he's doing. He's copying the example of his older brother. He watched, he learnt, and then he did. We naturally do follow people who seem to know what they're doing or where they're heading or if they're doing something that we want to partake in. And here, Paul says, follow my pattern. Follow my example. Keep your eyes on me and those who live like me. Well, what is Paul's example? We don't have to look very far. Just flip back in your Bibles with me to chapter 1, uh, verse 21. Paul says, For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labour for me. Paul's pattern that he sets for us is one of complete single-mindedness. He says to live is Christ. To be alive is to serve and live for Christ. He is all in with Jesus. And that means he is someone working to share the gospel of Jesus with those who need to hear it. He is fixing his eyes on Jesus, serving him with everything he has. And it's not just Paul. Consider Paul's words about his fellow co-workers, Timothy and Epaphroditus, in chapter 2. He said, I have no one else like him, that's Timothy, who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself. Because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. Timothy and Epaphroditus, too, were all in. With Jesus. As Paul says of Timothy, his pattern was that he showed genuine care and concern for the Philippians' welfare. All in with Jesus means being all in with Jesus' people. So Paul, Timothy, and others like them have set a pattern of proclaiming Christ, of being zealous for the gospel, of working and serving ordinary local churches, of listening to and speaking the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ to people who need to hear it. And if we are people who follow that pattern, we will enjoy growing to know and love Jesus more. But remember what Paul said in verse 12. Whilst we follow Paul's pattern, 
Paul's very clear that he hasn't already obtained all this. Following Paul's pattern means that you, you remember that you are progressing towards perfection rather than being perfect. Uh, another famous quote, Albert Einstein is apparently quoted by saying, the more I learn, the more I realize how much I don't know. Um, Anna and I recently bought our first house. Uh, and if you'd asked me about a year ago how you go about that process, I would have answered you by saying, step one, find a house that you like, put an offer on it. Step two, borrow some money from the bank to pay for said house. And then step three, get the keys. Now, what I very quickly began to learn was that house buying is a minefield of long documents, surveys, paperwork, small print, varieties of mortgages, life insurances, home insurances, contents insurances, and so on. I still do not get very much of it, but I can recommend a very good mortgage advisor. Um, <laughs> but in a, sense, in a sense, that is the Christian life. As we grow to know Jesus more and more, as we follow Paul's pattern, we grow to realize that Jesus is so much bigger than we ever thought, so much greater than we ever thought. And so we're challenged to keep growing to be more like him. We're progressing towards perfection rather than thinking we've made it. But if you're anything like me, you might find this hard. It is a challenge. It's pressing on, remember. It's straining rather than a stroll in the park. And one reason for that, as Paul moves on to say, is that his pattern isn't the only pattern we could follow. Now, Anna's cousin could have chosen to follow the pattern of me in the game of Jenga. Masterful, tactical, precision moves that ended in a glorious victory against an 11-year-old. But um, he chose his brothers because it seemed like more fun. There are many patterns to follow. Have a look at verse 18. Paul says, For, as I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. There are those who live as enemies of the cross of Christ. And Paul says he's warned the Philippians of these people before, and he has done that with tears. Now, those tears could be for the Philippians because he knows just how hard it is for them to stand firm and keep pressing on for Christ in the midst of a people who set a different pattern to that of Jesus. Or the tears could be for the enemies of the cross themselves, some of whom will be Paul's fellow Jews who are rejecting Jesus and so face destruction. Whoever the tears are for, though, two things are clear from verses 18 and 19. Firstly, these people have their minds set on earthly things. These people set a pattern of focusing on the here and now, on this world, the glory and the pleasure that they think they can find here. Maybe, as we've already mentioned, that is career, family, making money, body image, houses. Just a little example of that. that the average household has spent over £5,000 on home renovations since last August. 
Now, there's obviously nothing wrong with renovating your home and doing it up a bit, but that figure shows just what people are investing in here and now. It's the here and now. Whilst Paul's pattern is to look to Jesus, to fix his eyes on the future, as we'll think about shortly. Paul's pattern is to fix his eyes on the future, whereas these people have their minds and their eyes set on the things of this earth. So their perspective is different. It is earthly-minded rather than heavenly-minded. And the second thing that is clear is their destiny. Verse 19, Paul says that their destiny is destruction. To fix your eyes on the here and now, on earthly things, means ignoring Jesus. Ignoring a relationship with him for the sake of your stomach or your glory. That is a path that leads to one place and one place only. Destruction. Their perspective is different. It's earthly minded instead of heavenly minded. And so their destiny is different. It means destruction rather than salvation. And that's a danger to us. Because that, brothers and sisters, is the world that we live in right now. A world that tells us to fix our eyes on the here and now. A world that wants us to join them in their ways. A world that says, do you have to take Jesus that seriously? Go on, join us just this once. A world that wants to draw us into the pattern of the world. And so that's why Paul says, keep your eyes on those who live as he does. Because the temptation to drift away from Jesus will always be there. It's a little bit like that Christmas present that you got as a kid. For me and my brothers, it was a scale electric set. We got it as a joint present, Christmas Day 2005. And boy, was that played with a lot. At least for the first six months that we had it. We built it in my bedroom so it could stay up permanently. And night after night, we would be up there pretending we were Michael Schumacher or any other racing driver. But then after that, it started getting in the way a bit. You'd get up at night and you'd stand on it and it would hurt. So we dismantled it. We put it back in the box. It would come out weekends for a while. Then every other weekend. Then once a month if any mates came round. Within two years, it lived permanently under my bed, forgotten about. We drifted away from it. And if we don't keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the danger is that we do the same thing. We drift from Jesus. If we want to keep going, we must keep our eyes fixed, pressing onwards, following Paul's pattern of gospel priority. Paul says, follow my pattern. Even if it seems overzealous, even if the world says you're strange, follow my pattern. And as Christians, we want to ensure we're surrounding ourselves with great patterns to follow in church too. And what a joy it is to be able to look around at the people sat in the pews next to you. We have many, many people in our church family who are laying down their lives to serve Jesus, who are themselves following Paul's pattern in straining and striving on. Follow their pattern just as they follow Paul, who followed Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. So we're called to forget the past, follow Paul's pattern, and thirdly, 
we're called to focus on Jesus' return. Have a look down at verse 20 with me. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Paul says to the Philippians, our citizenship is in heaven. Our allegiance is to our heavenly home that we are pressing on towards. And that is because Jesus has taken hold of Paul and the Philippians. Those who have repented and believed, who have put their confidence in Jesus, can say that their true home, their citizenship, is in heaven. And that's because that's where Jesus is. Jesus is enthroned at the right hand of God. And so that's true for those of us here who trust Jesus. Our citizenship is in heaven. As Peter puts it in his first letter, uh, we are aliens and strangers in the world. Our home is not in this world. So if you felt slightly strange this week amongst work colleagues or unbelieving friends, then rejoice. It's a sign that you're living for your heavenly home. And as a slight aside, this is one of the reasons why church is so great, isn't it? It's the gathering of God's people around his word in a meeting just like this. It's a small picture or shadow of what will be happening in our heavenly home. Except rather than pressing on and straining, we will be made perfect. And that's because of what Jesus will do. Have a look down at those verses again with me. Paul says, our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. We're fixing our eyes on Jesus' return. Jesus will come down from heaven at some point, coming to judge the world. And on that day, those who have rejected him will bow the knee to him as judgment comes upon them. But those who have strained, who have pressed on, who have trusted their saviour, will enjoy life. And when Jesus does return, he will transform us to be like him. That's already happened for Jesus. When he died and rose again, he had his new resurrection body. And that's what we will enjoy, a body made perfect, a body that no longer has to fight sin, that is corrupted by our thoughts and desires. That's what Paul means by lowly body in verse 21, I think. But instead, our bodies will be transformed so that they will be like Jesus' glorious body, made perfect in every way. And so if your body is giving up on you, if your eyes are failing, your knee stops you running, your food intolerances stop you enjoying food, your leg is broken, whatever ailment you may have, I'm sorry that you have to face that. That is hard. But don't grumble about it. Let your body help you focus on Jesus' return, to focus on that day when Jesus will come and transform our lowly bodies to become like him. And we can have confidence that day will come and will happen because Jesus has defeated death. He has defeated Satan. He has the power to do exactly what he says. 
So how do we press on to know Jesus more, to make it to our heavenly home? We've got to forget what has come before us. Take all our good and our bad to Jesus. We must follow Paul's pattern of choosing to live for Christ now over the pattern of the world. And we must focus on Jesus' return when we will be made glorious. Let's conclude then with Paul's words from chapter 4, verse 1. He says, Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. Paul describes the Philippians in that verse as brothers. He loves them. He longs for them. There is joy and his crown. That's just more evidence that Paul is all in for Jesus. His joy and crown are the people with whom he shares the gospel with. And he wants them to stand firm in the Lord in this way. He wants them to stand firm as they press on, as they strain towards heaven. He wants them to stand firm as they put their trust in King Jesus and live for him now. He wants them to stand firm so that they make it to their goal. The way that they're going to achieve their goal, the way that we all press on, isn't to work hard, to train hard, to eat well like the Olympian or the A-level student. The way we achieve our goal is to stand firm, firmly within the love of God, firmly within the gospel of grace. And the way we do that is by forgetting the past, following Paul's example and focusing on Jesus' return. And that's going to mean potentially a radical change of mindset for us. It means that we'll be people whose lives now are lived out not for the present, but instead the decisions we make will be based on the future, based on our pressing and straining to make it to our heavenly home. And so as we live out our life as a church family, the question to ask is, are we doing this? Are we helping each other to do this? No one would question an Olympic athlete's total commitment to achieving their goal of a gold medal. People would support and encourage it. You wouldn't be called overzealous or a keno for wanting to become a doctor. Just like Paul, we need to all be pressing on wholeheartedly towards heaven. And we do that together as a church family. So ask yourself the question, are we doing this? Just imagine with me what it would look like to be pressing on together towards heaven. It would mean letting God's word change our mindset on life. Coming to his word, ready to be changed on a Sunday at church, at your growth group or youth group, in your quiet times or your family Bible time. It would mean, mean every day coming to Jesus and confessing sin, relying on him. And it would mean encouraging other people to do that too, helping them to have the right mindset in life, helping your family and your friends navigate life decisions about school, sport, friends, houses, pointing them and reminding them of our shared goal. It would mean having conversations about Jesus, asking people how they are doing, impressing on, rather than conversation being consumed by the things of this world. 
It would mean sacrificing time to invest in people, to help them keep pressing on. It would mean being all in for Jesus and his people. Our present decisions and actions should be radically different to the world because our future is certain because of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's pray that we would all keep pressing on with our eyes fixed on Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that in Jesus we can have complete confidence of our citizenship in heaven. Father, we're sorry for all the ways we've been complacent or not relied upon Jesus. Please help us all as a church family to keep pressing on towards our goal. Help us to forget our past. Help us to follow Paul's example and help us to fix our eyes on Jesus' return this week. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.